only run their mouth. Mouth don't throw punches. Punches throw punches. The fight happens in the ring. Are you ready, champ? Like, like I cannot not be ready, right? Like, I ain't been doing my job for eight to ten weeks, right? Okay, okay. Like, I got here overnight, right? What up, what up, fight fans? Welcome back to episode 161 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here. On theboxingrant.com, I'm Kenny Keith, and I'm joined, as always, by Vince Cummings. What up, Ben? What's going on, brother? The uh, heavyweight division announces itself on the main stage of boxing once again after last night, my friend. Huge, huge event. Um, a huge event that exceeded all expectations as far as the performance in the ring. These two giant heavyweights put on a show, my friend. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's one of them special nights in boxing, man. And, uh, you know, there's there's probably people watching that fight that aren't real, you know, diehard, true boxing fans. But I guarantee you, anybody that tuned in and uh, caught wind of Anthony Joshua for the first time, uh, he, he's gained some fans, that's for sure. Yeah, it was a spectacular event from Wembley Stadium, man. Um, you know, as far as fights that we've seen in recent memory, I mean, I don't think there has been a fight that has delivered on this sort of stage. I mean, for what's at stake, the fact that these are heavyweights, you know, let's not forget the way that Carl Frotch ended the fight against George Groves in their rematch at Wembley Stadium in front of 80,000. That was an emphatic boom, but that was not a heavyweight fight. That was not a battle of a legend versus the the next coming. You know what I mean? Yeah. This this was on a on a spectacular scale. It's it's always different when it comes to the heavyweight division and and as goes boxing, goes the heavyweight division. If the heavyweight division is is, is popping and there's good fights going on, well, guess what? The rest of the bo- the rest of boxing follows right along behind it. It's better for the sport all around if the heavyweight division is where it may be going. I think last night, you know, we we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves and announce this the arrival and, and heavyweight boxing is going to be great again. But that was sure shit the uh, changing of the guard and a hell of a start. And a great continuation to an already strong start here in 2017. All right, you are tuned in to episode 161 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. Be sure to drop by theboxingrant.com today and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spreaker, and Google Play. And be sure to subscribe to the Boxing Rant YouTube channel. I had tweeted out earlier, Vin, that this was going to be a two-episode week. But as as is the nature of, and uh, I guess the lessons I'm learning right now, three weeks into being a father, sometimes the baby calls and the agenda and schedule has to change. Life happens, my friend. It does indeed. Not for me, though. I'm good to go. Yeah, oh, you're good to go? <laughs> uh, Vince is down for two shows. It's, it's my fault, guys. Um, but that's all right, because instead we'll bring you an action-packed episode 161. We have a fight of the year candidate. As the heavyweights clashed from Wembley Stadium in London, England, and of course a preview of two of Mexico's biggest boxing stars, and Canelo Alvarez squares off against Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. HBO pay per view. We got a preview of that. Uh, some showcase fights that could lead to future opponents, could lead to future matchups within certain divisions, um, and of course, then <laughs> what would a spectacular, epic fight weekend be? without the return of Scott Quigg. <laughs> I'm glad my stream was fucked up and I can only catch uh, half of it. <laughs> Scott Quigg back in action, folks. Yeah, Be sure to tune in because it is going to be at least 20 or 30 minutes on the man they call Quigg. Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Thanks for tuning in to episode 161. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Vince Cummings 81 and at Kenny Keith. Junior. All right, Vin, let's get to the big show. 90,000 fans in attendance for the spectacular heavyweight clash from Wembley Stadium in London, England. It was on Showtime, 4.30 broadcast here in the United States Eastern time. Anthony Joshua squared off against the legend Vladimir Klitschko for the IBF and the WBA heavyweight championship of the world. Vince, this fight delivered on... Every single level, in my opinion. I mean, the performances by Anthony Joshua and Vladimir Klitschko really gave me a boost. The last couple episodes of this show, 
there's been some 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 serious layered cynicism. Yeah. Oh yeah. Involved in the show as we get worn down by the boxing schedule and the politics that surround the nonsense of the sport. This was a clash of the future versus the legacy. These two guys, one needing to prove himself, one wanting to show the world that his decade-long reign at the heavyweight helm was not what some people had thought it was. Vladimir Klitschko could have laid down easily in this fight, then, But what we got here was two guys determined to defeat each other, and what an amazing fight. Yeah, it, everything you could, every aspect you could ask for from a fight, a big fight, we got out of this one. I mean, from this fucking ring walks to the fight. I mean, it was just a... The pageantry, everything that went along with it was fucking awesome. Uh, it, and rarely in this sport do you get fights like that. So I appreciate the hell out of something like that when it comes around. You throw the performance that both of them put on on top of that, and I'm, I, I can't remember a night in heavyweight boxing in recent history that's been anywhere near that. You got, we got the, I, I want to say, the best we've seen from Klitschko in a long time, and we got every... Every question that needed to be answered from the young champion, guess what? Answered emphatically. And, you know, everything that we talked about leading up into this fight and the challenges that, that Joshua would have to overcome, you know, the, the, the spectacle, the size of the event, well, guess what? You know why he was gassed four or five rounds into that fight. He was nervous, man. There was, there was some serious nerves that led to him getting so tired so quickly. He overcame that. His power held up late in the fight. And for all those people that for all the years have just said, oh, you know, Klitschko's just got that glass chin, man, and he's just got he's got no heart, and you can take it to him and get rid of him. Let me, let me tell you something. That man showed as much heart as I've seen in a heavyweight fight that I can remember. He took a pounding. That, the fact that he did not go down from that goddamn uppercut that almost launched his head through the Wembley roof I mean, he he settled back down into his stance right after that punch. That guy has an unbelievable chin. Unbelievable. Uh, I, I'm just so, you know, I'm so happy for the sport of boxing after that night. Uh, you know, I wanted Anthony Joshua to win. Like I said, it's in the pre-fight, it's, it's better for the sport, right? Now we have a new generation, and it was handed over in, in you know, the most valiant way it could have been done. You, you knocked out the greatest heavyweight champion of the last decade, right? Minus Tyson Fury, which, as far as I'm concerned, when it comes to Tyson Fury in this conversation, until he gets back in the ring, he's out of the picture. It's been 18 months. There's some drug test bullshit that's clouded everything up. I, I'm not putting him in the conversation yet. I mean, we can talk about him if he comes back in and, and what the possibilities are, but as of right now, Anthony Joshua is the best heavyweight in the world, right? Yeah, I think so. I think uh, if there's one thing that, that, that was solidified in the aftermath of this fight is that, you know, leading into the fight, I don't know if, if, if there were many people saying that this was number one versus number two right. in, you know, in the heavyweight division. This is one versus two. This is best versus best to, to say who's the best. I don't think a lot of people were saying that. But what I think one of the things we learned coming out of this fight was after the fight was over, yes, these are the two best heavyweights in the world. Yeah. Vladimir Klitschko and Anthony Joshua. Yes. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Joshua becoming victorious in this fight definitely purchased himself at number one because then you just said it, and I agree 100%. If you're not fucking active, then you're just a, a punchline because that's all Tyson Fury has been on this show. You and I have always praised Tyson Fury as being the best craftsman, the most unorthodox, hardest guy to fight in, in the heavyweight division. Right. And that if he's active that he's probably the best heavyweight in the division. But I'm sorry, we, we didn't lift up Andre Ward when he was doing his shenanigans, his self-imposed uh, sentence. Mikey Garcia, two years, uh, uh, lawsuits with top rank while not having an injury. Right. You know what I mean? All these guys, you get treated the same. Yeah, there's no pass. It doesn't matter if you're, if you're white, if you're Latino, or if you're black. You, all, you are out of my peripheral Yeah, altogether. So I completely agree with you. I think that uh, I think Anthony Joshua earned respect from the hardcore fans. He did. Okay. And I think Vladimir Klitschko earned respect from the casual fans because all the casuals that you and I were talking about in the preview show that were trying to minimize and delegitimize what is a Hall of Fame career, uh, top 10 to 15 heavyweight career of all time, those people learned a lesson. 
about Vladimir Klitschko, just like the diehards had all the questions they wanted answered. Because I can tell you right now, the, the biggest question for me, it wasn't Joshua's power. It wasn't his boxing ability. It was a little bit of his inexperience. But more than anything, it was his jaw. And I can tell you right now, in a fight that had four knockdowns, that was so violent, the hardest punch thrown and the hardest punch landed in this entire fight was when Vladimir Klitschko connected and followed through on that crow hop straight right hand that fucking when the when it when it was shown live when Klitschko hit Joshua all I saw was a spritz of blood just come flying just immediately it was a thunderous right and this is where my level of respect for Anthony Joshua goes through the roof after this fight the I'm telling you, when, when that when that punch connected, I jumped up and I said, he's going to do it. Yeah. He's going to do it. It's over. Joshua's done. It took Joshua three rounds to get his freaking bearings. It did. But I tell you what, man, to survive that right hand in the sixth round, Anthony Joshua uh, has earned so much respect for me as a fan. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. I'll tell you this. And, you know, I, I'm sure there's going to be some people out there that say, you know, why did Vlad Vlad let him off the hook? Vlad should have finished him. But, you know, you, you can say all that all you want. And I was frustrated, too, watching it like, what, what, come on, more right hand. I wanted, to, I wanted to fucking drop Jim Ross from the WWE in the ring. <laughs> right hands! Right hands! I mean, because he seemed to be holding back on it when he should have thrown a little more. He kind of started lunging in from, the, from too far out with that left hook, and, and Joshua kept ducking underneath of it. But I also think Vladimir Klitschko was tired, too. I think Vladimir Klitschko has a little bit better of a uh, disguising himself and being tired where Anthony Joshua has his mouth wide open. But Joshua was on noodles for three rounds. No doubt. His knees were, I mean, he could not get settled. He was chit-chatting with Klitschko. Usually you see guys, look, if a guy's talking to another fighter and he's in good shape, He's initiating the offense, and he's carrying on. Right. You know, kind of the way that Lomachenko was teasing Jason Sosa in his last fight. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm dominating you, dude. You know what I mean? Right. No, he was chit-chatting with Klitschko because I think that he was not – he didn't really know where he was at. Maybe he was knocked back into one of their sparring sessions years ago. <laughs> right. it was, my wife looked at me, and, you know, my wife watches the big fights. And, and right in that moment, uh, when Joshua was running his mouth to Klitschko and not throwing any punches, my wife was like, he looks really tired. Do you think he should be talking that much? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But I tell you what, he shocked me. Because I, I sent out a tweet during the fight. If this thing goes past eight rounds, this is advantage Klitschko. And it seemed after eight rounds, it was advantage Klitschko. Did not the, look good. The fight was tied after nine rounds for me. I had it tied all the way up until the knockout. Right. Okay. And I'm telling you right now, man, the knockdown in the fifth round, Klitschko won that round. He got knocked down by Joshua, came back and won the round, but it's a mandatory 10, 10 points, 10-9 10, round for Joshua. That, to me, and the 10-8 round, if, 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 if look, the 10-7 round at the end and the 11th round with the two knockdowns didn't count towards those final scores, but those, right. those 10 rounds that were scored by the judges, um, I'll tell you right now, man, I had it tied. I had it tied. It was a 10-8 round when Klitschko clipped him in the sixth. Mm-hmm. I can't believe that there were two judges that had that thing three points for Joshua going into the 11th round with no chance for Klitschko. It is very convenient that the the gap was just wide enough to ensure a Joshua decision. Because I can tell you right now, that fight, I have a hard time understanding from anybody. I watched it twice, both telecasts. Yeah. And what I saw was a fight that was heading towards a draw. Yeah, it, I had it even at the time of the stoppage. Um, you know, I... I, I think what, what it was on those the two scorecards with the three-point advantage was they both of them, I, I believe, scored the first four rounds for Joshua. And I gave the first to Klitschko. Yeah, I, I, did I give the first to Klitschko? I think I gave the, the it, first or second. It was I a gave. wash of a round, though. Yeah, I had yeah. it 2-2 two, two after four, if that helps. Yeah, I mean, a couple Yeah, a couple of those early rounds, I mean, I, you know, you can say who you scored it one way or the other. There was very minimal action. And actually, after the third round, I'm watching with my dad and a buddy, and they were both pumped up for the fight. And, my dad's an old school boxing fan. He only gets pumped up every once in a while. He saw an article in the newspaper. It's the only reason why he wanted to watch it. And after three rounds, I'm like, well, guys, this this might turn out to be uh, pretty goddamn boring. And then fifth round, Joshua comes out the corner like a fucking bull. And just it was like, whoa, dude, where? Where did that come from? And he just overwhelmed Klitschko for that first knockdown. 
he really didn't even if you go back and watch he landed some good punches but not like a you know not a solid on the on the chin dead dead nut shot he just overwhelmed him and it was almost to the point where i felt like klitschko was like before i do get crushed with something that i'm gonna fall down i'm yeah before i do get crushed and get and get knocked out i'm just gonna go down and that's what that knockdown felt more like to me and he got up and there was not really a recovery period for him. He never was truly knocked out. You it know? looked worse than it was, though, Vin, because remember, he was bleeding from a headbutt from uh, yes. from prior. Yes. So it was the first time you saw him get up and blood streaming down his yep. face. Yep. But it clearly didn't come from that. No, it, it didn't. And, and I'm just, you know, the biggest questions that we had coming into this fight about Anthony Joshua, Ken, and there was two or three of them, you know, and I just thought there was no chance in hell that he could keep his, especially seeing him in what started after the knockdown in five, six, seven, and eight, and even nine, really. He was just done. The fact that he was able to dig deep enough to compose himself and and finish that fight, I mean, a, a, against a fighter like Vladimir Klitschko, that is not a feat that is that is done easily at all. Then, leading into that stretch, and I think for the entire fight, actually, Vlad landed his jab at a 40% clip. Yeah. I mean, that is some serious, serious jabbing. You know, during those rounds where where I guess some people are accusing Klitschko of letting Joshua off the hook when Joshua was not, you know, you know he didn't have his faculties about him. Um, he, you know, he wasn't throwing very many punches. I mean, those rounds were clearly won by Vladimir Klitschko, but they were won with the jab. Yes. Um, there was enough respect from the knockdown in five from – uh, Joshua getting knocked down in six where these guys kept enough distance and it was just a matter of time. It, it really was just a matter of time. But rarely do you have fights anymore where two guys are so determined that it allows for a fight to have such ebbs and flows, especially at this level. Um, the heavyweight division has been dominated recently by one-sided fights. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been dominated by showcase fights because outside of the top four or five heavyweights in the world, these guys are, are average Joes. These guys are former American uh, sports players at the collegiate level or amateur level in different sports. I mean, these guys don't have a future in boxing outside of being opponents and hopefully achieving the, you know, the mastery of gatekeeper. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> right. So to find two guys outside of Anthony Joshua and Vladimir Klitschko to really contend now for this now unified IBF and WBA heavyweight championship is going to be a tall task. I think what you see at the end of this fight is that Joshua really wants the rematch. He wants to run it back at Wembley, 90000 and do it all over again and make all of that money. I mean, Klitschko made $15 million. There's reports that Joshua could make anywhere from 25 to $35 million if the numbers are accurate on the pay-per-views for this fight. Uh, they already know it broke the rec- their pay-per-view record. There you go. I think in pre-orders. <laughs> so, so, of course, Joshua was very excited about it, but... When the microphone and camera was turned on Eddie Hearn, I don't know if his dick was just so hard he was having like one of those moments in the Cialis commercials where they say if you've had a boner for longer than four hours, call your physician. <laughs> I think Eddie Hearn was in that that stage of his erection, but he was so confused and kind of thrown off, like um, uh, we're not really uh, like there's a rematch clause. Right. I think you have two two people that have to think about this. Mm-hmm. Eddie Hearn needs to think whether he wants to watch his uh, prize champion go through that again because it could end very differently the next time with the power we saw in this fight. Or Klitschko's got to want the rematch. Or uh, I'll say for Eddie, on Eddie Hearn's side, the second one, even if you lose, guess what's right behind that? A third one. Yes. And it's all money for him. Oh, so much money. I mean, they could – look, I, I'm not saying – I I, I want to see this fight again. If if it doesn't happen again, I understand. I, I I think the more of the burden lies on Klitschko in this. He's got to reflect and look. Do I want to come back again, go through that again, uh, possibly lose again, three fights in a row, you're probably going to lose by knockout if you lose. It's, it's. I think it's on him. And I think when they were kind of – you saw him in the ring, like you could see him running through that in his head when he was standing on the ropes and, they're, you know, Josh was doing his thing. You could see, like, do I really want to – fucking come back here and do this all over again. I, you know, if he does, I, I, I'm all for it. But I, I also would, in my heart of hearts, would like to just see Joshua keep this train moving on to something else. If Vlad wants to come back and fight later, maybe not next, maybe next year. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I'd like to see Joshua try to unify again. Look, I think if there's one thing that's proven, like going back to one of the original points about these two being, Joshua and Klitschko being one and two, 
uh, best heavyweights in the world is, is that Joshua now has solidified it in his confidence. I'm not saying he lacked confidence in this area, um, but if, if, if he did, he solidified to himself that he can beat anybody. Beating Klitschko in a fight like that, two guys who come to fight, two giants determined to, to push each other to the limit, then he now knows that fights with Deontay Wilder, Joseph Parker, Luis Ortiz. Take them all now, and I'll tell you what order I do them in. Give me the Vlad, the, the Vlad fight in a year. You know, Vlad's the kind of guy that's going to be in impeccable shape. Right. As long as he's determined to fight, give him a year off, he'll come back and put forth just as much effort in a rematch. Yep. What I do if I'm Anthony Joshua is this. I take my mandatory immediately against Luis Ortiz because now's the time. Ortiz has been inactive. Yes. Ortiz has had shitty opponents, and he's coming off of an injury. Take care of him now because I'm telling you right now, if you let Luis Ortiz get healthy, okay, and you let him get two warm-ups under his belt, and then you honor that mandatory after, after you've probably already rematched Klitschko and had another fight, maybe a rematch against Dillian White, maybe a fight against Joseph Parker that are tough fights, then you run that back after that, no, it becomes far more difficult. I go in this order. Luis Ortiz, Deontay Wilder, rematch with Klitschko. Because I, I, I think, honestly, after the fight we're going to talk about in a little bit, Joseph Parker's fight this week, mm-hmm. I, I think that some kind of big deal gets done for a Deontay Wilder versus Joseph Parker fight. And then two champions, two belts. Two so, belts each, yeah. Exactly. So I think it's Wilder versus Parker. I think it's Anthony Joshua versus Luis Ortiz. Love it. And the winner's fight. And then Klitschko's waiting for the rematch, whoever, whoever comes out alive. And maybe during that stretch, we saw what the right hand of Vladimir Klitschko can do. One of the most thunderous right crosses, straight rights, however you interpret that right hand of his. One of the best in the history of boxing. And... Deontay Wilder has to be thinking, if this guy comes forward and steamrolls me, I'm done for. I got one shot, and it's this right hand. And we've seen him uncork that thing, and we've seen Joshua get put down and nearly flatlined by one from Vladimir Klitschko. Mm -hmm. You think Joshua's just so confident that he's just like, fuck it. I'm going to go in and take this noodle leg Deontay Wilder out in three rounds. Yeah, and I think he'd be a huge favorite in that fight. But I think me and you both would agree, and I think a lot of people would agree that uh, Deontay Wilder's right hand may, if not, if it's not, if he doesn't hit harder than Klitschko, it's equal to Klitschko. Well, it's a twelve-year younger or, or nine, nine or ten-year younger version, right, of a of a devastating right. So we know it can be done, and we know Joshua can get dropped. So Wilder does have a chance in that fight, but I, I totally agree, man. I think you go after Luis Ortiz right now, yeah, you, you, for all the reasons you stated. These inactive injuries. It's just a guy that you don't want to play around with, and now is probably the time if you're going to do it to do it. Run and, it back at the O2. Yeah, it's easy to make because Ortiz is with Al Heyman now. Eddie right. Hearn and Al Heyman have been serving him up for years. Right. So yeah, you, I, I love it. You either look. It, I think it either is going to boil. It's going to boil down to this: whether we get Klitschko back for a rematch in a year, or the Fat Man gets in shape and, and decides <laughs> to make a return, because I think that that fight is Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua w- would eclipse what Joshua and Klitschko was, in my opinion. I don't disagree. I think that the grudge match that could be created, um, you know, you have a guy like Anthony Joshua who, who definitely toes them. He, he relies on his confidence, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, a little bit of arrogance and, um, you know, a little bit of entitlement all mixed together. Anthony Joshua is is fueled by that kind of stuff. Right. You know what I mean? So he, he doesn't have to get too crazy, too wild. Um, he acts like a gentleman. Tyson Fury will push this guy to the limit. I think one of the great, uh, you know, things that, you know, some people don't talk about, which really gave Tyson Fury the advantage, not just in the ring with his unorthodox style and Vlad wanting to fight in the center of the ring, um, you know, and, and Vlad being a little bit gun shy. I think that the theatrics leading up to that fight, I think the fact that the fight was postponed, I think that it just lasted so long. It became so tedious, and I can guarantee you, you're in the room as much, uh, of, you know, as much time as Tyson Fury and Vladimir Klitschko were together. Oh my God, it was probably nonstop, Vince. Yeah, nonstop from him. Imagine a long promotion between Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua. The mind games—that's one of Fury's greatest, greatest weapons. Oh, it absolutely is, and he's playing them already. He's been playing them the week of this fight. He's been making sure he's putting videos out, and I believe he tweeted after the fight. He's, he congratulated Joshua for the win, and he said, but you're a boxer's dream, and I will play with you. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? He may, he may very well. I'm not just 
I think playing with him is a little bit too far, but yeah, you know, Tyson Fury could probably outbox Anthony Joshua, but guess what, Tyson Fury? Get your fat ass back in the ring or you're irrelevant and it doesn't matter. You should, you're really you're entering the fringe of this conversation. That's it. I mean, we can't consider him seriously in any of this. Well, we could if talking shit resulted in weight loss. <laughs> you know what I mean? Then we'd be right on point. I, I, I've been seeing plenty of pictures, and I know he's back in training, but I, he still looks fucking huge to me. Yeah, he's got at least 50 pounds loose. Yeah. At least. Um, you know, really the difference in the fight for me, I thought that Joshua and Klitschko was an even fight. Both of us scored it tied uh, leading into, uh, you know, the knockout. But in the moments in the fifth round, the moments when Anthony Joshua physically imposed himself, shot out of a cannon, put caution to the wind, that is where you saw the difference, the separation. It wasn't the age. To me, it had nothing to do with age. Mm -hmm. It became in those bursts, he became unmanageable for Vladimir Klitschko. And you're talking about a Vladimir Klitschko who was eye-to-eye with him. They were the same exact height, but he was 10 pounds less. And he's a guy that has never really succeeded fighting off of his back foot. Now, all credit due, Klitschko has picked off many a foe with a fadeaway punch. There's no doubt about it. Right. That little fadeaway check left hook, little fadeaway right cross, he's done it many times. But not against a guy who's six foot six, two 250 pounds with the athleticism. It became overwhelming. And it's really what Anthony Joshua should have done the entire fight. I just think in those early rounds, when, when, when little was being done, that the jab of Vladimir Klitschko was getting respect from Joshua, and that's why it took Joshua a little while to put his foot on the gas. No, I, I'm not going to argue with that at all. Look, I, it, I think also it was a couple, you know, there was, I want to say maybe in the third, second, third round, I can't remember, it was the first, uh, first punch of the round. Klitschko came out right away and threw a straight right hand. Mm-hmm. It was the, to start the fucking round. I think, it was, him. I think it was the second. may have been the second round, second or third. I think that also was like, okay, oh. Whoa, well, that was fucking quick. How'd that get there? Yeah. And that, a very underrated aspect of Vlad's game hand, yeah. is hand speed. And, I, you know, when he came out in the fifth round like a bull, I, I think a lot of that had to do with he he felt himself getting tired in the fourth round. He was like, I need to fucking make something happen here because uh, I don't know if I'm going to make it the whole fight. <laughs> sure as hell didn't seem like it. But uh, what an emphatic close in the 11th round. It Dro- was. Dropping Vlad twice, hurting him pretty bad the second time. I thought Vlad did well to recover. Um, he, you know, his veteran tactics going for the clinch. Uh, Joshua, more than a handful in those clinches. Um, you know, Vladimir didn't have as much success as he's had in previous fights when moments like that have happened with the clinch. Survival mode kicks in. He did well. I think his conditioning, uh, you know, served him well, being able to skate outside on the ropes. He was staying away pretty good. And then Joshua gets him pinned against the corner. Not, not very many solid uh, punches are landed. But Vlad is literally pushed up against the top rope, bent over backwards a little bit. He's not able to throw a punch. Mm-mm. And the referee jumps in and stops the fight. I thought that Vlad had gained enough equity in his amazing Hall of Fame career and the performance that he put forth in this fight to see it to the end. But you could tell that the referee um, and the judges both had it in a situation where, uh, let's get Joshua out here with the, uh, the win one way or the other. I'm not accusing corruption. No. It, it was not a bad stoppage. I just felt that... There were certain things into the advantage of Anthony Joshua into this fight. But guess what? If Anthony Joshua doesn't knock Vladimir Klitschko down two times in a row in the 11th round, he doesn't get that equity anyways. No, no, you're right. I, and look, you uh, you mentioned it. I mean, it, after those two knockdowns, the way the scorecards that we saw after the fight, the the fight was over. The, the separation had been created at that point. Even the one card that Vlad was winning by two points at that time. Was gonna was gonna flip the other way one point for Joshua and the other cards were gonna have Joshua up five points so already the fight was done minus Klitschko getting a knockout which I don't think was gonna happen later. no 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 I no, look there's no doubt about it I just as a boxing fan maybe I'm being greedy because it delivered on such a high level I wanted more right and I knew there wasn't anything coming on boxing wise for the rest of the evening but yeah give me that last round I mean <laughs> just you know just give it to me give me that last fucking hit man. I'll tell you this, though, Vince. I did not think I would be saying this on this show, mm-hmm. on this episode after this fight, that this is the leader in the clubhouse for 2017 fight of the year. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about that, and I, I'm not going to say I disagree because you're right. It had everything, a fucking fight of the year along every line should have. Knockdowns on both sides, 
uh, just extreme fucking drama. Through. What was on the line? Yeah. The wh- crowd. Yes. All of that went into making that what is going to be a serious contender in a fight of the year conversation for me. We got a long way to go in what's been a hell of a year. I, I was trying to think back to other fights, and I couldn't place one ahead of it right now. But I will say the one thing, and this is, goes for any really heavyweight fight, there wasn't the sustained action, but there was action in bursts that, that is the best kind of action. Oh, it was thunderous. Yeah, the, the best kind of action the sport can offer. So I get you saying that, and I won't argue anybody saying that that's their fight of the year, but I think before the year is said and done, we're going to get a fight. It's not going to have the same shit on the line. It's not going to have that, but we're going to get in-ring action that will be tough to not make fight of the year. Yeah, dude, it's very early. I mean, yeah. let's not forget that this was the last fight of April. Yeah, you know what I mean. We've got six, so, seven months to go. Yeah, I mean, we're we're only a you know a third of the way through this thing. Mm-hmm. There's a long way to go. But man, when it involves heavyweights, when it's it different, Im- man, it's the, different. When it involves the two biggest, the two best heavyweights, it does. It's not just the spectacle. All these things layer on top of each other. Yep. And uh, you know, it's a total package because really, if Anthony Joshua could pull off another big fight this year against either Joseph Parker, Luis Ortiz. Or Deontay Wilder, if he beats one of those three fighters, he is a guaranteed 100% lock for the fighter of the year. Uh, you, yeah, there's no doubt about it. Because Tyson Fury won it by dethroning Vlad. Yeah, yeah. And that did. was his only fight. Mm-hmm. As of right now, you have to say he is, I, w- I would say. Yeah, right now? Well, clearly. We got a big fight to talk about that's happening this weekend, Vin. But, I mean, let, I mean, let's be honest. It's more, I don't know. It's Well, that's a spectacle in a different different manner. The opposite side of the spectrum of a spectacle. Maybe I would, I would, I would give it the opportunity to achieve this kind of a fight, but I don't think that there's as much explosion and power involved in this, and I think that there is being way too much credit given to Julio Cesar Chavez. But don't let me go too far into that no. because um, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. So Joseph Parker returns to the ring to defend his WBO heavyweight title this weekend. I was supposed to be Huey Fury, mm-hmm. as the Furies do. Pulled out. Yeah. Um, Razvan Kajano steps in. Is that how you say it? <laughs> R- Razvan Zan? Zan? Razvan? Uh, ta there you, there you go. So, anyways, it's an opponent. Yeah. Okay. Joseph Parker will defend his title, and then much will be known. Um, Deontay Wilder has got to be a little bit more active here. Um, now, wait a second. Did you see the back and forth between Bellew and Wilder at the weigh-in the day before the fight when they just had a five- or six-minute back and forth of the most incoherent fucking bullshit ever? So what you're saying is that it was staged by the promoters? It, it felt that way. It certainly felt that way. Bellew's in there doing an interview, and then all of a sudden in the background you just hear a, lo- a loud, Bob Squad! And all of a sudden... He's like, oh, look, I don't need no squad, son. I don't need no squad. And then the shit takes off from there. How do you feel about that fight? Because <laughs> now it sounds like it's going to happen. Uh, I feel like if that fight gets fucking made, that's uh, that's a disgrace. But it would be fun. <laughs> the promotion would be fun. It would. It's kind of a mismatch. I mean, Bellew you know, is definitely... Can, I, the more skilled fighter in that fight. Bell, you would have a very good chance of winning a heavyweight belt, and that to me, that is just that's that's a, a fucking crime. But it makes for another epic twenty million dollar payday for Anthony Joshua, doesn't it? it? Does. Uh, there's so many different ways to you know to weave this web, mm-hmm. and I think as long as these matchups are made, I think that Deontay Wilder is the reluctant party so far. Joseph Parker not trailing very far behind. Yeah. These two guys are taking the easy road right now. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be up to these two title holders to, you know, to really see what happens. I don't think there's any doubt in Anthony Joshua's mind that everybody is next. Yeah. He's, he's not going to fear anybody moving forward at all. All right. So Anthony Joshua does it then. He answers the questions. Vladimir Klitschko puts on a performance of a lifetime. You got anything left to say about this epic battle? No. I, thank you. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Great fight. Anthony Joshua is now your IBF and WBA unified heavyweight champion of the world. Congratulations to Anthony Joshua and Vladimir Klitschko. All right, Vin. What would a podcast be without uh, the appearance of Scott Quigg? Scott, oh, God. Your boy. 
Scott Quigg left Joe Gallagher on, uh, you know, upon your request. Joe wouldn't let him eat Legos anymore, so he had to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so he heads out to Hollywood, California to train with Freddie Roach. Yeah. Freddie Roach uh, was able to get Scott Quigg out of that Gallagher shell, was he? Yeah. Uh, uh, Peace up a little bit. He did. I, I'll tell you what, the, that version of Scott Quigg, which my stream was fucked up, it was slow. I was only seeing half the screen from, like, their their torso up. It was an exciting version, a more exciting version of Scott Quigg, but not a version of Scott Quigg that's going to beat any of the best fighters in the world because Simeon was making way too much contact, hitting him way too much. And against a good fighter, that's not going to be a good thing. I know he's the mandatory for Leo Santa Cruz now, so I'm sure that'll be the route they go, and that's a uh, probably a fairly easy fight for Leo Santa Cruz to win. Oh, I think so, too, especially now that Scott Quigg's not going to be protecting himself for the first five or six rounds. Right. Yeah, give me Leo Santa Cruz all day. Hey, Scott, I don't know if that's the route to get back to Carl Frampton. No. But it's the road you're on. That, well, that's the road he thinks he's on. <laughs> Fucking God, man. Just get over, dude. Carve your own career, man. Scott Quiggs, the WBA featherweight mandatory now. Um, another eliminator fight. Uh, Olympic gold medalist Luke Campbell. Squared off against Darleus Perez, a guy that Anthony Corrales' legend was forged against. <laughs> Luke Campbell looked like, um, you know, the Luke Campbell that I've I've criticized for the last two years in the sense that, dude, as soon as somebody puts any kind of heat or or or, or delivers any type of adversity, he gets very uncomfortable, doesn't he? He gets on the back foot, and he, he just doesn't look comfortable. No, when no. he's under attack, that that would be the best way to describe. He goes limp. Yeah. It's just uh, he doesn't like getting hit. Period. That's what it's. That's what it looks like to me, anyways. Darleus Perez, under any other circumstances, let's say like a you know a, a eight eight week training camp, like yeah. like most a real training camp. Now, granted, Darleus Perez came in overweight. Did you expect him to make weight? No, no, no. But he's still the kind of opponent that's supposed to push Luke Campbell. But you know, it's perfect though. Darleus Perez is is kind of he's in that gatekeeper category, anyways. But you know. Now, short notice, Luke Campbell, ninth round stoppage. Okay, fine. I mean, congratulations to Luke Campbell. Uh, but here's the thing. This is the catch-22, Vin. So what Luke Campbell gets, he doesn't get another gold medal for beating Darleus Perez, but his reward, his prize for defeating the, uh, you know, the tough challenger is a WBA mandatory championship title shot in the lightweight division against arguably boxing's premier artiste and one Jorge Linares. Uh, good luck to you, sir, because I, I don't see him standing a chance in hell in that fight. If somebody gave me a Jorge Linares mandatory title shot for Christmas <laughs> as a present, <laughs> dude, I would just run and jump out the window. Uh, Luke Campbell should because that, that <laughs> fight is all wrong for him. Uh, he needs, uh, you know, and I get it. Eddie Hearn strategically is as somehow or some one way or another has gotten Luke Campbell to where he promised he would get him, which is a shot at a title. Uh, he ain't ready. Jorge Linares is on a completely different level, and Linares will drop and stop this kid in, inside eight rounds. Absolutely. I don't think there's a, even an argument for the case otherwise. No. Luke no. Campbell's not shown me power enough to say that he can stop Jorge Linares, which that is his only vulnerabil- vulnerability, is you may be able to knock him out. But that seems to be something that he's kind of straightened out in the latter half of his career here. So, yeah, I give Luke Campbell zero, <laughs> zero chance. If Anthony Kralla is a B-level fighter. That's the fight. You know what I mean? To me, before they make that. B versus C+. plus. Let's see if Luke Campbell can beat Anthony Kralla. Well, maybe that's it. I mean. Maybe the WBA, you know, they love to have as many pockets to reach in as possible. They don't mind reaching in Eddie's pocket as much as they can. That would be a huge fight over there. That fight would sell in the U.K. like no other. They're saying, what was it that that, that Kralla was going to get another title shot against somebody else? Like he's like earned all these title shots. You were saying it to me last week before the show. And I can't remember who the hell they were talking about. But it's like, what? Kralla? Hasn't he lost like four out of his last seven? <laughs> Another title shot, huh? Hey, man. Eddie, Eddie Hearn, it's good to have him in your corner, brother. I'll tell you what. He'll get you what you need. Indeed. And he's going to get Luke Campbell a beatdown. <laughs> I don't know if the kid from Hall needs that. No. All right. You going to rearrange that pretty boy's face? Cool hand Luke, they call him. Yeah. 
Um, Vin, Katie Taylor in action. Was she? <laughs> was she? Was she in action? Is that is that what we're calling action now? <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that does it from the card at Wembley Stadium. <laughs> yes. You just killed it with Katie Taylor. <laughs> All right. Now that uh, everybody is limp. <laughs> let's infuse some Cialis. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> All right, here we go. Um, big fight this weekend. Yeah. This is like the second time in the last couple of years that Canelo has had to, uh, you know, fight a, a perceived big fight uh, in the wake of a mega fight. And I think that the aftermath and sort of the follow through and the, and, and the exceeded expectations from Joshua versus Klitschko kind of puts a little bit more pressure on whether or not people are going to buy this pay-per-view because – you know, outside of having to pay $15 a month for a Showtime or an HBO subscription, um, it didn't cost $75. So now Canelo Alvarez versus Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., HBO pay-per-view, Cinco de Mayo weekend from the T-Mobile in Las Vegas, Nevada, has to face similar odds at Canelo versus Kirkland from Minute Maid Park. Now, that fight followed up the biggest disappointment and the biggest scar on boxing in the history of boxing, which was Mayweather versus Pacquiao. Yeah. So the fact that that delivered, even though had May Pac been an epic battle and a fight of the year candidate, James Kirkland probably wouldn't have been getting as much uh, perceived hype as uh, as he did. But that was an amazing uh, sort of mouthwash. It didn't. It didn't get the shit flavor completely out of <laughs> no, your mouth. No, it did not. Still stuck in your teeth. I can still taste it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Canelo and Chavez face a similar similar feat. Regardless of who buys this, this crowd is going to be uh, pretty epic. Um, you have a battle of the two biggest Mexican boxing stars in the world, regardless of where they are in their careers. They'll fight at Canelo weight. Oh, I'm sorry. Super Canelo weight. <laughs> right. 164 and a half pounds. Vince, it is Canelo Alvarez versus Julio Cesar Chavez. It's one, it's one of them fights that it's fucking hard to wrap your head around. Like, is this legit? Like, what, you know, why, why, why should I invest my $75 into this fight? Because I love watching Canelo Alvarez fight. To me, he's one of the most, he's been the most improving boxer o- over the last three or four years, watching him kind of grow into what he's become. It's, it's been awesome. But why, why is it always on his terms? Why is it always, it just seems so, so hand-picked and so catered to. It's just. It gets very hard to not question what the fuck is going on and why why we are subjected to this shit. Because look, I don't know if I'm going to buy this fight. I, I were you going to buy it before last weekend's fight? It's always been questionable, man. <laughs> it's always been questionable because to me, the outcome of this fight is a formality. And if when when that's the case. What the fuck am I spending money for? I already know what's going to happen. To fill Canelo's pockets? Yeah, I'm sorry. That's, and give, I'm not, give, give Chavez another deserved multi-million dollar payday? I'm not in the business of doing that. And, you know, we were projecting when this fight was announced, and we've talked about it a few times on different episodes, that this show was going to, or that this card was going to do pretty well on, on a pay-per-view. You know, 300,000, 400,000. They're going to struggle, man. I don't think there's as much of a build-up to this fight as many people may think. Now, granted, in, in the Mexican-Latino community, this is a huge fight. This, it's it, it's generational fight. It, just for the fact that you have a, a the, uh, the son of a legend and the perceived Mexican star, okay? But outside of that and outside of that community, it doesn't carry much weight. It really doesn't. You know, I think that the weight that it carries may be more, and, 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 and people are going to get pissed off when I say this, but I think it carries more weight in the Mexican-American community, personally. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think that Mexican-American, uh, you know, boxing support has been rabid. I think on the West Coast, there are no better, oh. more hardcore fans. They keep the sport alive. But here's the thing. I don't know how much it resonates throughout all of Mexico, okay? Now... HBO's documentary leading into this would make you believe that the entire country is going to stop and watch. And maybe they are. I don't think it's going to be like the Philippines when Manny Pacquiao fights. 
I'll put it into perspective for you. All right. Now, you know, in, in our industries, there are a lot of Latino workers in the blue collar industries here in the United States, whether you're an electrician, if you're a plumber, uh, if you're a contractor, if you're a landscaper, right. uh, the workforce is primarily Hispanic. Okay. But even, even a lot of them have become Americanized working here for such a long time. See my company, we employ, I have 60 Mexicans, not Mexican Americans, Mexican nationals that come over and work for my company on the H2B visa program. So they're only here during the landscaping season. Uh, they arrive in the, in the first week of March and then they're home by Thanksgiving. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I got 60 guys here that, that literally span the map. Okay. They live all over Mexico from Northern Mexico to, you know, to 300, you know, 300 miles South of Mexico city. I mean, they, 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 they run the gauntlet, the spectrum of Mexican society. And I'm going up to every single one of them saying, yeah, Cinco de Mayo, man, let's get some Coronas ready. You know, Chavez versus Canelo, who you picking? Not a single employee, 60 Mexican national men mm -hmm. that run the age of 20 years old to 35 years old. Not a single one gives a shit about this fight. That's interesting. All they care about is soccer, Vince. I'm telling you, they have no opinion on this fight. I got one or two guys to say that Chavez is a spoiled brat. That's it. Well, yeah, and, and everybody knows that. I mean, that's national news. <laughs> now, that's not a poll of 40,000 Mexicans. Right. That's a, that's a nice little, uh, little, little side poll of enough people where it paints the picture of uh, what this fight really means. And it's a piece of the demographic that supports Mexican boxing. Yeah. Men ages 18 to 35 years old. Right. So I don't know. So I'm kind of with you on this. After, after the theatrics and the spectacle of Joshua versus Klitschko, I woke up this morning just wanting to rock, watch the replay, and I was like, can't wait to do the show that we're going to do for, for Joshua versus Klitschko, but fuck, man. Seriously? <laughs> like, nah, we got to preview Canelo versus Chavez, too. I was so disappointed. I put on the HBO documentary, and it got me back in the mood to talk about the fight a little bit. Well, Liv Schreiber will get you, get you up for anything, buddy. Oh, oh, sweet, sweet sounds of, 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 of Liv Schreiber. You narrate you taking a dump. <laughs> it would be epic. <laughs> for sure, it would be epic. Um, I don't know, man. I, the more and more and more I think about this, as I am tasked by the multi-millions uh, you know, of, of dollars that you and I get paid to talk about boxing as professional journalists, <laughs> I have a duty to really break this down and really, really think about this. Yeah. The more and more I think about this, this is such a lopsided fight, and I think Canelo is going to destroy Julio Cesar Chavez, which will cap off a night of showcases and mismatches. So why pay $75 for foregone conclusions? I, I, I can't disagree with your uh, take on that, Ben. I, I mean, look, am I interested in seeing – uh, the size difference, it, it brings a little intrigue into the fight because Chavez Jr. is significantly bigger, and he's going to, my guess, gain 25 pounds uh, from weigh-in to, to in-ring on fight night. He's been in a sauna for a month. Yeah, I just i am not sure. Like To me, it looks like uh, he's <laughs> could quite possibly have overtrained just a tad. <laughs> I mean, he looks completely emaciated and i know he's doing it with memo heredia and obviously there's some fucking question marks that always come along with that but you got to think it's been being done in a healthy way with him but it doesn't look like it you think he's uh drinking piss i, my, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that flies in that camp that's that, a, hey that was that questionable memo marquez camp wasn't it yeah <laughs> for pacquiao four Drinking pee, having muscles disappear on top of his muscles. Was he eating ostrich eggs or whatever <laughs> he was eating at the? He was dude. I, that dude. I, I I think he was drinking Zeus's, uh, Zeus's sperm. <laughs> <laughs> well, from that fucking punch, it seems like it. <laughs> oh man, yeah. I, look, this fight. You know, there's some there's some intrigue that goes with it, and I think you know there may be parts of this fight that could be fun, but. Canelo's not a brawler. Chavez Jr. has been completely inactive. He hasn't taken the sport seriously for the last three years. Now we've been seeing pictures, and we're supposed to believe that because he's in shape now, this is a serious Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., and this, this, means, this spells trouble for Canelo. Well, I'm sorry, sir. I'm sorry, golden boy. I'm not that gullible. This This is a formality, and it's easy work for Canelo Alvarez. 
Oh, it's really easy work, man. I mean, let's be completely honest about this. Since his fight with Sergio Martinez back in 2012, in the last five years, he's fought six times, twice against Brian Vera, one of which was a very questionable. Life and death with Brian Vera. Exactly. Got knocked out by Andrew Funfara and then gets two, uh, two soft touches on his way into an inevitable knockout loss to Canelo against Marcus Reyes and Dominic Britch. I'm sorry, man. This is going to end ugly. Julio Cesar Chavez is going to have success. And look, the game plan is written, Vince. This is so predictable. It's unbelievable. They've been preparing for this ever since the fight that we opened this segment of the show with the James Kirkland fight. Okay. Mm -hmm. That tactics that was deployed in the first two rounds of that fight where he stayed in the high guard against the ropes as the other guy stormed forward. That will happen for two or three rounds. And then I'm telling you right now, Canelo catches Chavez with an uppercut or something right down the middle, and it's over. And I wouldn't be surprised, since he's so overtrained, that after the first big punch lands, that it's body work from there. This thing ends early. I don't want to drag this fucking analysis out because Canelo is the superior fighter, superior upper body movement, which is his forte as his defensive tactic. Julio Cesar Chavez will lay on him for a few rounds, but this thing ends in the fourth. Give me Canelo Alvarez by fourth round knockout. Yeah, look, I think it's it it boils down to this. We're talking about fucking Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. This guy has shown us in fights when the going gets tough, Julio gets the fuck out of the ring. Vamanos. He's done. I'm gone. Yeah, and I don't see any way in this fight that he doesn't run into that. So are, am I to expect that he's going to react a different way this time? No. The, the the check's already written. He's getting paid either way. The Chavez that showed up in the uh, 11th and 12th round of his fight against Sergio Martinez. <laughs> I don't even think that would matter. I really don't. Th- well, that's what I'm saying. That Chavez ain't. <laughs> that that Chavez disappeared five years ago, and he got d- dominated in that fight. Right. I mean, we do know that Chavez has a good chin, okay? It's. Now, Fonfara dropped and stopped him, but I also think a lot of that was him quitting, him giving up on himself. Uh, the only intrigue in this fight is if Canelo can one-piece knock him out, and I, I think, think he, he can, and I think he can. Yeah, it'll be a, a, just a diminished, drained. Uh, I, I think it might be a body shot that, that gets a diminished, drained Chavez Jr. Uh, on one knee and not willing to get back up and, and continue fighting. You think Chavez will be allowed to wear that Mizuno uh, trash bag? Uh, long sleeve that he wore throughout training and in the saunas for the last month. Oh man, he has got to be just dying to get his hands on some food, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's going to be in a lot of pain. Oxy's. He's all. Look, I think uh, you know, a <laughs> little bit of weed. Oxy's in a joint, maybe some fucking Burger King after the fight. <laughs> Did you see that? Uh, that 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 recent episode of Vice on HBO about the Kuwaitis who are obese because they eat Burger King and McDonald's every meal? Yes, and Burger <laughs> King is fucking huge over there, yeah. <laughs> so is Hardee's. Is it? And Carl's Jr. <laughs> uh, he, dude, that's exactly... Hey, look, when Chavez loses this fight, he's going on vacation to Kuwait. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know he's looking forward to a vacation. <laughs> that's probably the first... Like, Some Fruity Pebbles. I don't know if you... Um, I don't think you got a chance to see it yet, the face-off that no, was on last night. No, I haven't watched it yet. It was good. and I'll tell you what this fight does have that, that Joshua and Klitschko didn't have that didn't matter in the end is there's some true animosity in this build-up. These guys don't fucking like each other. But what I saw in that face-off was a Canelo Alvarez that was sitting on one side of the table going, this is a formality. Just get me in the ring with this fucking joker, and I'm going to knock him out. And Julio Cesar Chavez sitting there looking – unsettled is what is the best way I could put it. Like he's just not, doesn't seem sure of himself. Doesn't seem like he sees a a good outcome coming out of this fight. I mean, what has he done in the last five years to build his confidence? I don't know. But what if Ken Mark Kriegel interviews, getting him up for fights these days. (laughs) Hey bud, I'm back here to uh, do another interview with you. Make you feel good. Are, Are you like me? And you're saying that there is, absolutely zero chance that this fight gets stretched out and is close and gets to the cards fourth round knockout then yeah i i I think it gets stopped i don't know what round but i think a a left hook to the body uh is the end of the night for julio cesar chavez jr indeed uh canelo versus chavez the uh the winner to fight triple g oh oh really (laughs) 
<laughs> Look, let's just put it out there, okay? And I know there's going to be some listeners to this show that just completely disagree with this comment. But I can assure you that this is a fact, okay? That was reported to me by the man I'm sitting across from here at this table. Triple G got hurt significantly enough Although it's kind of like a, it's kind of like how the uh, New England Patriots or teams in the NFLs disclose injuries, upper body, upper body, <laughs> just general upper body. Anything from the waist up is upper body. Whether you broke your neck or you just have a little bruise, <laughs> upper body. Let's just say this: this is fact. Yeah, Triple G had an upper body. Yes. So as much as you know, the De La Hoya camp would love to chalk this up as a win in the promotional battle to seize more of the A-side uh, advantage right. leading into a possible fight with Triple G. Um, the fact is is that the Billy Joe Saunders fight is not happening due to upper body. Upper body We'll injury. just say that. Yeah. We'll just keep it at that. So G waits for September. But then, as you have been one of the great prognosticators in this sport as to what will happen next, I've never been good at that. I've been, I've been up about 50% on picking fights. Right. Vin is about 95% on, on, on picking who... This guy will fight next. And he said it all along that September sounds pretty ripe for the guy that is positioned here in a showcase fight. No real threat or damage here uh, possible from one Marios Mar- slash Marcos, Mario, Marcos, whatever you call him. Reyes will square off against the Canadian from Montreal, David Lemieux. I mean, to me, when I, when I look at and when I start to try to, draw the path of where things are going you just look at this card and this is a this is going to be a second huge knockout win for david lemieux you're going to put it going to put it right before where canelo alvarez is is going to knock out or slash dominate julio caesar chavez jr it just makes sense not only does it make sense for golden boy promotions as a company to put their both of their guys in the ring where Guess who's they got their hands in that whole kitty? That's all theirs. Oh, and fisting. Yeah, it's. <laughs> I mean, it's in there. Yeah, fists full of dollars. Oh <laughs> uh, man, you fucked me up, dude. <laughs> That's what I do, man. I play those Tyson Fury mind games. I on mean, the show. It's, to me, it's just been it's been written. And, you know, I, I'm not saying I'm right. I know there, this is not fact, but I just feel like, yes, in September we are going to get Canelo Lemieux. And why the hell not doesn't make the most perfect sense in the world to do Triple G Canelo on Cinco de Mayo. Actual May 5th is next, next, sat, or next year. Mm-hmm. The 5th falls on a Saturday. It's a fucking, it's a, it's a home perfect. run. It's, perfect. A, it's knock it out of the park. I'm sorry. The stars are aligned, and I tell you what, Canelo has, you know, as much as we want to give him, you know, a pass, he's, he ran this gauntlet at such an early age, you know. He we went, do forget he's still, and he mentions it in the face-off, and he's, it's, a, it's a great fucking point. He's 26. He's 26 years old. But his last couple fights have been against guys that are either considered past their prime, have glass jaws, have had the career beaten out of them, or are never will be. So, where, where have we seen that before, Ken? Who who took a career path like that when they came back? I would say the uh, Canelo Alvarez opponent from September 14th, 2013. One Floyd, Joy Mayweather. <laughs> Bundles of joy. <laughs> Bundles of joy. Now, Liam Smith, never will be. Okay. Amir Khan. Uh, I, I don't want to call him a has-been. He's always there, I guess. Uh, but he's always, re- you know, he's glass jaw. Miguel Cotto uh, perceived over the hill. Mm-hmm. James Kirkland, same status as Amir Khan, a guy that a stiff breeze will blow over. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even though these were all pretty, ex- you know, the, the Cotto fight was temporarily competitive. He hasn't exactly fucking matriculated his way through a minefield is what you're telling me. But he has a way to still put on a little bit of spectacle. Uh, you does. know what I mean? I mean, you have, you know, uh, uh, the Erzlandi Lar fight had a very contentious crowd. Miguel uh, Cotto. Crowd sold out. Amir Khan, T-Mobile Arena. Uh, don't forget James Kirkland, 35,000 in front of Minimade. Liam Smith does over 50,000 at Jarrah's World. Yeah. So he can draw. He draws in heavily populated Mexican-American states, borders, uh, border states to his home country. But this has been a well-crafted um, Oscar de la Hoya slash Eric Gomez concoction here 
that has been taken right out of the playbook by of the man that did the same exact thing, albeit in a much more active and much more ferocious way. He did it with Floyd Mayweather as well. This is taken right out of page one mm-hmm. of Top Rank and Bob Arum's playbook, the yeah. development of, of Canelo Alvarez, the, the positioning, going into this Chavez fight, being able to go into a David Lemieux fight, keep it in-house, go outside, get the big payday. Triple G will be that much older. And like we said, upper body. Yeah, upper body. Upper body. <laughs> it all plays into it. Yeah. It's smart promoting. Well, do you, you know, think Vladimir Klitschko? Hold on a second. Do you think Anthony Joshua beats Vladimir Klitschko of six years ago? Uh, if, 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 if that Vlad shows up, probably two, not. Two hundred and fifty-six pounds, sixteen pounds heavier. That uh, that less. I mean, come on, man. No, I don't. Yeah, I think Klitschko would get him. Yes, definitely. <sighs> That's Canelo's path to Triple G, Vin. And I've been sitting here trying to just be the antithesis of the logic you speak, sometimes the uh, the boxing trolls on YouTube will influence one to think in mysterious ways. <laughs> Here's the one thing that w- that could punch a hole in the theory that, I w- that I'm saying for next year is that Golden Boy catches wind of this upper body injury. Mm-hmm. And now they decide to put the pressure on. Hey, we want the fight, we want the fight, we want the fight, we want the fight, when <clears throat> they can't, do- they physically can't do it right now so that you know and and get forced into it when they maybe shouldn't so who who knows timing's everything who knows yeah it is it is timing's everything and i think that the timing is right Mm -hmm. for a heated rivalry a heated rivalry between um today's great mexican star and the son of um mexico's greatest boxing star yeah canelo versus julio cesar chavez jr vin formality uh, yeah, it's pick a, a round. Just pick a round. I'll, I'll say seven. Seventh round. Seven, seventh okay. round. I'm taking the fourth. Canelo lifts the belt. David Lemieux versus Marcos Reyes. Showcase fight. Lemieux spectacular knockout again. Yes. Okay. Lucas Matisse returns to the ring. This time going up to 147 pounds. The last time we saw him, he was on the receiving end of a fractured orbital bone from a right hand of then 140 pound WBC champion Victor Postal. Matisse said he never. Never said he didn't want to come back to boxing, even though some in the media had speculated that it'd be the best thing for him yeah. after such a devastating injury, especially the way that that injury and the way he succumbed to it yeah. and, and kind of submitted to it like, no, no, I'm right. done. My eye is completely closed in on itself. I'd like to have my eye moving forward in life. Makes a comeback, does Lucas Matisse, the machine, one of your favorite fighters of the last five years. Yeah, I don't know how, I don't know how to feel about it. I really don't. It's a tough opponent, man. Yeah, this is this is. Uh, hey, we're gonna find out if you're serious or not because Emmanuel Taylor is not. Uh, that's not a showcase fight by any means. Emmanuel Taylor took Chris Algeri to deep waters. He took uh, Adrian Broner to deep waters. He did. He has uh, been on. He's been in very very close fights against some really good names. Probably he's, the best gatekeeper at 147. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. Um, this fight, to me, for Lucas Batiste, this is going to be a tough fight. He's going to be battling ring rust. That's not to say that Emmanuel Taylor has went on to you know, uh, fortune and fame and, and, and quick knockout victories and stayed superiorly active. Right. No. But what this is is basically Oscar and Lucas probably having a conversation and saying, listen, if I still got it, don't put me in against the bum. I don't want, I don't, I don't want to be teased and sort of given delusions of grandeur by beating somebody uh, that I should dominate. To me, this Put me is, in tough. Yeah, this is a fight that will jump him in. If he wins, will jump him into the rankings right away. You think he's still got something left? He's 34 years old now, is he? I think he beats Emmanuel Taylor, but I don't think he's got enough left to maybe get a title shot at 147. Maybe. I can't see him getting anywhere closer than an eliminator fight. I agree. Um, I don't think Taylor has enough power, but I'll tell you what. If just by happenstance that Taylor were to connect on that same eye mm-hmm. with a solid shot, how is Lucas Matisse going to react? Because let's remember the first time it broke, he took a knee and he quit. Well, yeah, we'll find we'll find out if he really is serious about a comeback or not if that happens. And I wouldn't blame him. I mean, when I say the word ah. quit, it's not in a negative connotation. No. It's uh, he knew his limits there. And we'll see where the limits are now. It's actually a smart move by a fighter when they fucking – I'd like to see a fighter do that. Like, all right, yep, I'm done. That's it. I'm not going to fucking hurt myself. For the sake of the sport. Lucas Matisse is back, my friend. I'm looking forward to it. 
All right, one of the uh, very best young fighters at 126 pounds in action. Um, a guy's career that I wish was not involved in pay-per-view cards. Yeah. We saw his perceived uh, parallel universe equivalent in Oscar Valdez um, being put on a, you know, as a headliner um, on, a, on a top-ranked pay-per-view in Oscar Valdez. She got this kid on ESPN, man. Jojo Diaz, pay-per-view. Um, I don't think it's as good as these two are. And I hate to always lump them together, but I, I feel like they're going to be talked about together for a long time. Jojo Diaz is not being brought along the way that his talent would deserve because batting, batting fourth. No, it's not good, man. It's just, not, not enough exposure. There's going to be this fight's in Vegas, Vin, right? Mm-hmm. So that twenty three, twenty five thousand seat mega arena, the T Mobile, what five hundred thousand people going to be in the crowd to watch the fight? Yeah, they're going to be getting lubed up before they get in there for that main event. So, yeah, absolutely not. So, even if it's an awesome fight, it's not going to get the fan support that it deserves. No, nope, it won't. And most people that order pay-per-views, let's be honest, they don't sit down from start to finish of the pay-per-view and watch all four fights. You're up and about. You normally have a party going on. You know, you just don't sit down and focus in on the fight like that. I, I feel bad for him. Like I said, I, the kid should be headlining on ESPN. Why, why didn't he headline one of these ESPN cards? Yeah. Yeah. And then what? He's just going to come out of the darkness after after his career was was cultivated on pay-per-view. And then all of a sudden he's going to jump out and be like, hey, guys, remember me? I'm a superstar. Yeah. (laughs) So then if an Oscar Valdez versus Jojo Diaz fight does happen. uh, Where's the hype? There won't be much. Yeah. It's a couple of years. That, That thing needs needs some some stewing. Well, I mean, and, and look, we're talking about very young guys. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, it's disappointing. Jojo Diaz, showcase fight, Manuel Avila. Diaz doesn't have enough power to hurt many people, but he'll put it on whoever he fights. Yes, he will. All right. Then let's wrap it up there. How's that sound? That sounds good to me, brother. We are uh, over an hour into 161 here on the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. Sorry we didn't bring you two episodes this week. We had a special guest lined up for the Canelo versus Chavez preview. We hope to be able to get that person on the show for the post fight, but three week old baby calls, daddy must come running. My life has changed, Ken. I know. <laughs> I know. Our fans are gonna start calling me a sellout. I sold out to real life then. Yeah. Brian King already calls you a sellout, so <laughs> Oh, BK. Love the guy. Love the guy. <laughs> all right, Ben. I guess it's time to say goodbye to all our friends. Bye, friends. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> Won't you be my neighbor? <laughs> oh, man, that's creepy. Oh, you've been tuned in to the Vladimir Klitschko. Anthony Joshua spectacular. Anthony Joshua laments himself. As the new heavyweight king in boxing. Awesome fight, man. The hype train forges forward. <laughs> this time it's a little less hype. There's some actual steam behind it yeah, now. Yep. All right. You've been listening to episode 161 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on theboxingrant.com. I'm Kenny Keith. Follow me on Twitter at Kenny Keith Jr. And follow Vince Cummings at Vince Cummings. 81. Be sure to drop by theboxingrant.com today and subscribe to the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast on iTunes, Spreaker, and Google Play. And be sure to subscribe to the Boxing Rant YouTube channel today. We'll be back next week, hopefully with a special guest to deliver the post-fight of Canelo versus Chavez Jr. You've been listening to the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast on theboxingrant.com. Muchas gracias, everybody.